I guess that's our opening countdown. <laughs> Four, three, two, one. Uh, hello and welcome to another edition of the Agency Podcast. Eugene here, your agent still in Toronto. And Candy Minks here, your agent back in Chicago and very happy Woo-hoo. to be home. <laughs> I bet. It's ah, great just to be in- around, huh? My house is messy because I haven't done housework in about six weeks. I almost said months. (laughs) Weeks or months, come on. (laughs) Maybe six months. No, I was doing lots of cleaning because of the pandemic. I was doing all kinds of like get rid of things, clean up, dust, wash, try to make life more simple. But I just keep accumulating stuff. Isn't that the way? It is the way. Kind of a drag and kind of fun at the same time. They say that uh, people... There was a whole minimalist thing. I don't know if you were familiar with the minimalist thing. Like Marie Kondo? Well, yes, but there was also like kind of a, there was like an idea. I don't know who, what group it was where you have like one bench, one plant, and it was like a minimalist thing. And um, That's going to go over real well in your house. Oh, I would love it. Except I don't love it because I like to have comfy furniture. I like comfy chairs with a table empty beside them. The problem is I keep putting stuff on those side tables. So then when I want to put my cup of tea down, I don't have any space. Plus, you know, you are married to someone who likes his stuff. It's very true. It's um, it's an issue. I like it's that too. It's an issue in our lifestyle. I like my stuff. I like, stuff. I like, I like my, my stuff. Human, I like my layers, my accumulations uh-huh. of stuff. Well, they say that in the pandemic and the quarantine, all of a sudden that minimalist thing went right out the window. People want comfort. They want to be cozy. And that, that aesthetic is very like, I don't want too, too much stuff, but I like, I like nice. I like my nice friendly things all around me. You don't want the stuff me. to like hide all the, the accumulated dust and cat hair, right? You like to, <laughs> to see that. If you have to get at it with a broom. I'd like to get at it with a broom personally. But it's very difficult to do that. You can see, and then I lay on the floor to watch TV. You can see the pillows behind me and the, and the screen. We've got our videos on so we can try not to interrupt each other. But you can see right there, I've got pillows and blankets behind me. Because I was watching American Rust last night. All right. Mm-hmm. I think I did four episodes. So you're catching up. I'm catching up. And you know what? I like it. I, I do like it. It's um, a little the- bit kind of soapy. Yeah, and I think some of that is a little bit on the writing, maybe from the um, the novel. I see it's from a novel, I, and maybe that's part of it. Sometimes they say things that I don't think they need to say. It, it uh, seems to me such... that some of the episodes have a lot more action than others. Some of them, it just, you know, it moves along all the various side plots. And, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I wasn't I, expecting that. I think maybe they have 
they're a little bit un, a little bit too unfocused with too much too many things going on. And again, I have a feeling that might be from the book that they the book sounds like if this is from one novel, it's it's obviously a very sprawling novel. Yes. And sometimes that's a wonderful world to enter into. And I think once I kind of just let go, I, I'm very interested in it. I guess some of the emotions I'm having is I'm very attached. I wanted the 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 high school boy to get together with his high school girl but the problem is his character his personality all of a sudden you find out damn it he um he is stuck you know his first way to problem solve is to punch somebody so you know you care about him and then you're like oh no dude i mean at least you're I mean, he's 2021 20, it seems like maybe starting to get too old to do that um, maybe not. Then, uh, you know, there's a lot of references to pill popping. And I don't think they have to say pill popping. Oh, yeah, everybody pops is on addicted to something, which they say, but I don't think they have to say it because we're watching that. Uh, yeah, I, I think if that's the environment that they're in, very yeah. much like Mayor of Easttown, which both are set in um, uh, formerly industrial towns in in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. uh, in which there there really are really is massive opium opiate problems. Right. I I, I was more qualifying. They they're showing everybody doing it. They don't really need to say it. We we get it. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. There's just minor things like that. Having said that, I care deeply for Jeff Daniels' character. I'm trying to care for, I love the actress, Maura Cherney. I'll watch anything she's in. She's in a great movie. Her movies are always amazing. Uh, Forces of Nature. She's in The Affair, which was a Showtime series. She's just a fantastic actor and I love everything she does. I have a mixed feeling about her character in this. So I want to get attached to these things there's, and there's care really, about the character, but There's yeah. only one actor I'm having trouble with in this series. And that's the pharmacist. He was the guy who played the brother in The Good Wife, except he's added on Correct. a glue-on mustache. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the glue-on mustache doesn't look like anything except a glue-on mustache. It does not look like it comes out of this man's face. And right. it obviously thought, doesn't come out of his face. Right. I thought that was a potential for a good relationship, too, because I do like the actor, actually. And I he forgot. He might be a good actor, but he's just lost in this role. Maybe yeah, it's because his role is too small. It's too it's small. recurring, but it's too small. Yeah. And I think that, you know, he had a couple of the funny lines. We're supposed to see that he's friends with Jeff Daniels. So we have a small town cop. I think you talked to us about the story. A small town cop cop who has he worked in philadelphia he has a past and now it's like it's a like, dark past that's right it's like don't think about it jake it's philadelphia or pittsburgh or whatever it's pittsburgh i guess pittsburgh, so yeah. it's kind of like chinatown so he's got that bad um past where some bad things happen and he's, he's trying to be a good person he's trying to be a good person he's um really he's struggling to be a good person but he's, yes. he's trying to be yes so he's kind of got addicted to all kinds of meds because of ptsd um, through the cop job and through the military. I think he mentions he was in the military too. So you've got the small town and you've got doings. And some of these doings seem to be a murder. And we don't know, you know, now we're going to try and find out who the murder is. So all of that I'm really enjoying. And then we go on these, you know, road trips with the characters. There's some good twists. There's a woman that's um, a young woman that meets, there's two high school, former high school students. They're both about 21. And one of them has to run away. And he meets on a train and jumping off a train and into the homeless community in rural 
Pennsylvania or or where is he? Virginia. He meets this woman. Oh, he's out there somewhere on the road. Yeah, and that character he runs into. Jojo is just fantastic. She's fabulous, but oh, she's going to disappear, Candy. I know. I don't I know, know I if she. Her. I don't know if she reappears. No, she, she doesn't. Just, she's already gone. I think she's just uh, disappears. And I she was really her. a highlight. Really, truly, and so um, it's kind of picturesque this story where you're going in and out of um a journey with different characters and a specifically one that's on the road. And um, yeah, I'm and there's, there's in an there. industry where where there's um. Uh, the mother of Billy is trying to organize a union, start uh-huh. a union. So there's that uh-huh. whole subplot. There's the subplot of Billy's friend who's on the road getting beat up because he's mm-hmm. gay. Yeah. Um, there's uh, all kinds of stuff going on, all kinds yeah. of storylines. Because there's yeah. a fentanyl issue going on. The pharmacist mm-hmm. is selling fentanyl. And um, oh, did I give away something? Yeah, that's okay. I don't think that the, the pharmacist is definitely selling drugs, legal and in, illegal, and that's okay. Um, that you don't, I don't think you gave anything away. We're being so obtuse about this storyline. It is a crime drama. It's um, evocative and moody, and um, part of that I really, really enjoy. I'm, I'm going to say I'm, yes. I'm eight, out, eight out of ten right now. And that Jeff Daniels' character is torn between doing his job as a cop and being a good person and helping out the woman he loves whose son is in a lot of trouble. Right. And she would like him to help out as you're going to find out soon in ways that may be not appropriate. Yes. Yes. And it turns out that she is a very manipulative character in this. Oh God, is she ever? So that's what I'm saying. I have mixed feelings. I want to like her, but I'm starting to be really annoyed by her and her and her son. So, but I'm totally not to mention the son's girlfriend, who's also uh, happily married, shows up back in town. It takes her what half an episode to jump into bed with with her ex boyfriend Billy. I know, but I kind of was no time at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's they're not likable characters, most of them. And um, I guess Jeff Daniels is our one. We're clinging to hope that he might be okay, redemptive. Uh, right now, there's not very much sense of redemption ever going to happen in this. No, it's but true. It's definitely it's... set up to hope for it. And I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. So I'm glad you recommended it. I, I sound maybe like I'm not, but I am enjoying it. Yeah, we know we're enjoying it too. We're watching it. We're all caught up and we're watching it every Sunday when it comes on at 10 o'clock right. here. Uh, right. So we're, uh, we're as caught up as caught up could be. But, you know there's at least two of the episodes in which we've been really disappointed Yeah, that the episodes are just like, they're filling in gaps. They're just sure too much, too much soap, not enough substance. <laughs> well, I know that I'm coming up to an episode that you really liked. So I'm looking forward to that one next. So that'll be, I can talk about that next week and I should be fully caught up by Sunday night to watch it. I did subscribe to Showtime in order to watch that. Wow. And, watch, and also because I cannot believe it, but there is a new season of Dexter. I never knew that was no going way, to happen. Really? That's still I on? love Dexter. No, it was over years ago. Well, years yeah, and years that's ago. What I thought. And I, I, th- and I, th- I, I didn't really like that series very much. Oh my God, I loved it. But I'm going to say that maybe it ended. It ended in the same week or month as Californication, which I loved, and Nip Tuck. So it was kind of a very emotional uh three and they were all dark and depressing endings uh, you know it was a very sad final season for in many ways or emotional i shouldn't just say sad you know a parting of the ways for those three tv shows that i was fully 
fully committed to. I loved Californication and I loved Nip Tuck. Uh, so it's weird that I just thought, oh, that's the end of Dexter because it was a finale. It was over. So I did not expect another season at all. Well, there you go. Yeah. Are you, so are, you um, are you also watching Succession? I, I, I have not added to the succession. I can, and I will, I'll catch up with that too. I've been, okay. as you know, we had that busy weekend um, with our art opening. So I didn't get much catching up while I was on the road. That oh, we'll one, I will once, back once you it. catch up. Yeah, I will. I'll make an effort this next couple of days. So next week I could be able to talk about that. So you had an art show. Yeah, we did. I told you about that. We told the listeners about that. And it turned out to be a lot of fun. Um, it was at Martin's Bar. Um, when we left, there was at least 250 people had come. So that was really fantastic. Lots and lots of people were coming through the door all night long. Um, I was beat by about 8 or 9 o'clock. <laughs> well, I bet you put a lot of effort into it. And now, and now, a little bird told off. me that you had a unique way of hanging your paintings. Would you like yes, to tell our right. listeners about that? Yeah, I think I told you about that. I, I do this a, n- a number of times. The first time I did it was in the gallery with Jorge and Luis. And I hinged. That's I back was in making, Toronto, back in the yeah, day. Way back in Toronto. On Harvard, on Harvard Street. Street. But the first time I did it to the wall, I make I love making folding screens. And at that show, I realized they had a big piece of um, wood and, and, and uh, boundary in their gallery. So I just hitched up a seven by, was it seven by 10 foot? Paint two is a diptych, seven by 10 feet paintings. I just hooked them up on both sides of that pole and let them just swing in the gallery. So I've kind of utilized that ever since. And so this time I only had a, um, what I would call a small space. <laughs> and it was a great space. He gave us a beautiful wall and I had half the wall. So I noticed, hey, I'm going to put a board up and drill it into the wall and, and hook two paintings in front of it, a third painting so I could get three paintings in there. So you basically layered them by using hinges. I layered them by using hinges. It's like um, when you go look at posters, you know, in the old days, people would buy posters. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You could flip the posters. And you would turn that thing. So it's just like that. It feels like that. Great idea. It's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of people really were kind of blown away by that and said they never thought of anything like that before. And they were pretty impressed. You know what was really fun about the opening was seeing the other artists and meeting them. It was so great. They're, um, you know, passionate young people who really like making art and crafting. One was um, a wood artist. And I know you know a wood artist, too. So it reminded me of your friend. And he's just starting out with this, you know, um, creating sculpture and pieces with wood. So he was very, very interesting. They were all really nervous, the, um, the other people. I don't know if Stag was nervous. He didn't particularly show it but I had the joy of being so tired from our road trip that I had absolutely no nerves and couldn't care less (laughs) (laughs) so I was just like whatever bring on the vodka tonics and after a couple of those I had to tell our organizer Vito I'm not going to make it till 11 o'clock he goes you don't have to stay here and I was like great off we go <laughs> right on. Well, I'm glad lots of people and, came out and uh, had a chance yeah. to see your work. Oh, it was so fun. And I love the other artists' work. And so that was really a great treat, too. Yeah, a lot of fun. I wanted to do a shout out to Martin's Corner Bar and Grill. That's where you can see this show. It's up until about December 12th. It's at 2058 West 22nd Place. That's not Street in Pilsen in Chicago. But it's close uh, to Street. So if you land on Street, street you're you in walking just, distance from place. You know why I know this? 
because I have gone to visit you and parked on place when I should That's have right. parked on street. And right. I was only a couple of blocks away. Yeah, maybe even one block. Yeah. That's right. Um, and I was looking for you and you were looking for me and I thought I was on your street and you had no <laughs> idea where the hell I was. No, no. Then I, I had just driven through a blizzard and I, my mind was, oh. my brain was foggy and Oh yeah, it was, it was something else again. I don't know how I even got to Chicago that day. I don't know how you did either. Yeah, I felt that way coming back this time too. We had five hours of pissing rain. It was terrible. I was so exhausted by the end of it. Oh, and of yeah, course, we really wanted hard. to get back because we had we had to go buy the supplies to hang up the paintings and stuff. Um, it was great because everyone just was responsible for hanging their own, and we all came in. You know, came in about an hour later. Everything was hung up. It was pretty cool. Beautiful. Yeah, I want to thank also Vizzy's Drinks. They they gave some samples and, and gave out coolers at the opening. I'd also like to thank Priceline. I am not being paid to mention the app Priceline. I just want that to be clear. But should the Priceline people listen to our podcast and, and want, want to, to advertise us, and want to <laughs> advertise, I would happily advertise for them because I've been using their app to book hotels and it's always cheaper and always easy. You can just go hotel near me and when you're really tired on the road they can find you a place so uh shout out to priceline app not that it's new discovery by any means but i do use it i'd also like to make a shout out did i tell you about that we stopped in mount vernon new york um coming back from manhattan on our way to our friend's house in connecticut and we just said let's check out mount vernon and mount vernon is um mentioned in the heavy d in the boys song money earning and it's money earning Mount Vernon. So if you make a rapid record, you would move to Mount Vernon and leave uh, Manhattan. Once, once you have enough money and you've already yeah, bought all the Yeah, you. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're like, let's go to Mount Vernon. And I said, I need coffee super badly. Um, we had checked out of our, our Brooklyn room and uh, we couldn't find any coffee. It was really early in the morning. Um, we were staying in a neighborhood of, of Brooklyn that did have some jellies, but they weren't quite open yet. So we drove to Mount Vernon and we found this place called Cafe Europa. So I want to do a shout out to that. If you're in that area, anywhere from Manhattan to Connecticut to Mount Vernon, I would recommend 184 Gramatin, Mount Vernon, Cafe Europa. It was old school, just like in Toronto on College Street when we used to have all those baristas. And they right. only made espresso cappuccino, nothing else. And it was really the best cup of coffee I've had in years. So good that Steg and I drove back a couple of days later and had it again. And when we came in the door, the guy was like, oh, my God, he was so happy to see us. He said, I'm going to tie a rope around your legs and keep you here. <laughs> That's and great. I said, I love it when men tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, around here, this week is battening down the hatches week. And that means. Well, that means the. Winterizing? Yes, the uh, all the the lawn furniture and that, that oh. sort of stuff, chairs and stuff, all gets packed up into the shed. So the oh. conversation was like this: last <laughs> year, it. I packed everything into the shed, and then we needed something from the shed, and I had to take everything out of the shed. Right. Do you remember what it was? No, I don't remember what it was. I don't remember anything about that. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, gee, the lawnmower. Well, we've got. I've got everything. Need. I it's packed out all the, the stuff. I've I have got all the chairs stacked up to the, the ceiling, the roof of this shed. Yeah, and, and I got all that done. And uh, and she said, "Did you think to take the Christmas lights out before you did that?" 
<laughs> so I'm gonna think everything out to get the Christmas lights. Oh out. God, that's awesome! I thought I you were gonna say that. The I knew I was gonna have to do it, and you know what? I'm gonna have to do it next year too. It's gonna be something else. <laughs> of course, it's gonna be so, that. So uh, do or that. I'll st- store them in a box above the door, so that it won't matter or something. Well, they, there's like a shelf, and they live right up high on the shelf. Oh, I'm gonna have yeah. to move a few things. Yeah, you are. So yeah, it's just what it is. So the other thing we have to do is clean out the birdhouses. Okay. Because what Ooh. happens is the birds nest, yep. and they make these big nests. But uh-huh. come next spring, they don't want those stinking old <laughs> someone else's furniture in their apartment. No, no. And you can tell in early spring or late winter, you see like the birds are there with their real estate agent, and they're checking out all the houses. <laughs> We've got a lot of birdhouses here at 27th yeah. Street. There's all kinds of them. And, you know, one of the things that I learned early on is that every birdhouse needs to have a clean out. Mm. You can't just have a hole and no way of cleaning it out. And there are some, some commercial birdhouses. It's a little bit like your shed. (laughs) So, so what I I've done with, I've modified those. I basically Uh taken the back off drilled holes that big enough to oh. get in there and pull all the old nest out okay and then just put a new back that just goes on with four screws Great. so that's the, the kind of thing i do i love it so i've got all but two are cleaned out now and I, they're oh. the two that require the tallest ladder so i've been <laughs> stalling on those yeah um because i'm always terrified of falling off the ladder yeah please don't fall off the ladder yeah, exactly yeah. Uh, yeah so doing that and then today do you know what today is? No. Today. Once Still I get all second. this, once I get all this podcast <laughs> stuff taken uh-huh. care of, yeah. is garlic planting day. Mm. This is it. I'm I did not realize you planted this early. Um, I planted. Well, here's the thing. You have to plant it in the fall for summer harvest. If you plant it too early, the garlic will sprout. And then there'll be green garlic, and then you get a bad frost that can kill the plants. Oh, God. Allegedly. Mine mm-hmm. have sprouted in the past because I planted too early, and there's been a bad frost, but it hasn't killed them, and they've been just fine. But allegedly, that could kill mm-hmm. the garlic. So you also don't want to wait too late, because if you wait too late, the ground's frozen, and you can't dig to plant. So you have to find that happy medium. And I figure any time in November is appropriate for planting your garlic. So when I harvest my garlic in July, typically I save a bunch of the best and biggest bulbs to to use for uh, planting the next year. Right. So I'm going to do that this afternoon. It doesn't take very long to do it. Just pop them in the ground and... uh, uh, Pretty cool. Ready. They just do whatever they do during winter. They do it, and then the first thing <laughs> in spring, uh, I love it. They they start well, doing their growing. I guess it makes sense because if you had bulbs of flowers, you plant them in the fall. I just remembered that now, like daffodils or you know any bulbing plant would be planted right now too. Well, I guess not. Not like dahlias, though. They have to. I don't you, know. You, you have to like take those out for the winter. And then oh, replant well, them in the spring. So everything's everything's different. Right. That's the whole, that's the that's, wonder of the world, isn't it? That is the wonder of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So also going on today yeah. is, and well, and for some time it's been going on, is the Samsung Cup, which is the full name of it is the Samsung Fire and Marine Insurance World Masters Baduk Championships. 
okay, basically I don't have any clue what that what is. What we're talking about is we're talking about world dominance <laughs> in Go. Oh, yes. or Baduk. Baduk is the Korean Baduk, word for yeah. Go. Mm -hmm. uh, Baduk is Korean uh, for Go, and uh, Wei Chi is uh, Chinese for for Go. Mm -hmm. So pretty exciting. When, when, when are you going to watch that? Well, um, the finals are on now, and the finals. Um, it's a two out of three match between the number one player in the world, Shin Jin So, and the number two player in the world, Park Jung Wong. Mm -hmm. And um, they've each won one game. So it's one, one a piece. And the next game is going to decide the championship. And there's two ways to see it. Um, on YouTube, Michael Redmond on his YouTube channel has been doing live coverage. Now, a live championship go match is like four or five hours long. <laughs> and so he starts the uh, he starts the coverage about an hour into the game mm -hmm. and uh, catches everybody up. And and he does some um, analysis of the game all the way through the whole thing. Now, oh, that's wow. a, a, quite a commitment. Yeah. But there's another great channel called uh, uh, now Michael Redmond. He's a nine a nine Dan uh a professional go player in japan mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. although he's an american he moved to japan um as a teenager and studied oh. go in japan and oh. became a professional yeah. which is quite cool yeah very because i mean making a living of uh, playing a, mm. a game is it doesn't get much better than that does yeah it, right? uh, so you can also go to another channel called baduk doctor okay and the baduk doctor <laughs> Um, he's a very high level amateur. He would be among the top amateurs around. And on his channel, often he'll play uh, games, matches against professionals. And he does really well against mid-level mm. professionals. Mm. And pretty amazing for, a, for an amateur player. He's a guy who, um, he grew up in Korea and he went to, was sent off to go school because he showed promise. Oh. And he got to the point where um, you have to win tournaments to become a pro. And he, he wasn't able to make that last step to become a pro. Since okay. then, he got married, left Korea, moved to Hong Kong, where he runs a Go school. He teaches kids how to play Go. Mm. And he's become very, very strong, strong mm. enough to beat many professionals. So what he's been doing with these matches is he's been doing um, like a 20 minute analysis after the game. So you don't have to commit to the four and a half hours or whatever right, it is right. to watch the game. You could just, um, wow. you could just watch the 20 minute version where he does quick analysis uh, of the play. And, uh, and it's pretty fantastic. So I've watched part of the live coverage and I've watched the, uh, the Baduk doctor uh, uh, coverage to get my go fix. Yeah. So it's like in two or three weeks, I've watched the U S chess championships <laughs> yes. and what's essentially the world go championships fun um, all on the youtube machine all on the youtube machine fantastic which is something else mm. hey hey you really like a coming of age story oh you know i do i'm, I I'm up there do. with the coming of age story i know well i i started watching one last night which one as well it's called colin in black and white and it's created by anna Duvernay, who we talked about with the 13th. Remember that on Netflix? They put that about um, the 13th Amendment. 
vaguely. I think you did watch it. I think you did watch it. I, mm. I watched it and talked about it about quite a long time ago, at least a year ago. Anyway, so those two and Colin Kaepernick made this interesting sort of like a memoir on the on him growing up and what it felt like uh, growing up. Colin and being, Kaepernick. Yeah. And it's really, really fun. Not only is it funny, it's also very serious. And it's got all kinds of great um, ways that it's told. It's told in a different way where Colin's in it and then he's in a big room and then he watches a movie recreated of his life and he talks about that as well. And sometimes in one really good shot in the first episode, there were a bunch of um, NFL players or actors playing NFL players and it's in a movie screen and then they come walking off towards him. He also did something very um, interesting where they, they likened which I have thought about this so many times with the NFL, how they have to go over their bodies and examine them and they bid and they sell each other, you know, professional sports, they, they, they're trading them. He likened it to the slave trade. Um, and I guess that, that, that upset some people, but I, I thought I've always thought that, and it was great to see that. Well, it's an interesting comment like from somebody who devoted the first part of his life to getting good enough to take part in that trade i know i know you know i mean obviously uh was he naive and didn't know what it was going to be like to be a professional uh football player i think everybody at the age of 10 and 11 is naive he was a very very accomplished or maybe he was just driven driven to um you know one of the good things about professional sports is uh the payday is pretty good yeah i guess that's why it would be good to see it you know you're talking about a 10 year old 11 year old a 12 year old they're not thinking about all of those things they're they're playing a game and he was also i had no idea very very good at baseball and had he had endless offers for scholarships in baseball none for football Um, but he was all he was just a very very accomplished athlete as a young person so most of this takes place so far between the ages of i'm going to say 11 and maybe 15 or 16. He's still very, very young, the, the, the kid in it. And there's all kinds of hilarious things because his parents are white and he is black and white. So it is hilarious because his parents are part idiots, part loving, part completely tone deaf and insensitive to what they say and do. And sometimes it's tragic and sometimes it's freaking hilarious and they're played by two astounding uh, all the cast is really good so the person playing um colin kaepernick is john michael jaden michael sorry jaden j-a-d-e-n jaden michael and then the mother is mary louise parker the father is ron offerman so they're really really strong and all the supporting characters are very good and it's told in a very creative way that is just refreshing to watch so it feels like a sitcom but then it doesn't feel like a sitcom. It feels like a documentary. And um, I cannot recommend it enough. It's incredible. And it's the origin story of a hero, um, a very, very special activist who has um, probably helped change the world and uh, at the least and also lost his job. Yeah, I hope he does well activism. because, yeah, he's, you know, you devote your life to football and all of a sudden you, you take a mm-hmm. stand on something you believe mm-hmm. in and you yep. lose your you lose your livelihood yep right yep. and that's what he's trained to do is play football right I mean, what yeah. else has he got uh well, well he's, he's got smart. this so yeah. hopefully he'll be able to pivot and 
uh, and do well and make a decent living. And maybe he's made enough money already from football. That he's okay. I, I think it's possible. I, I, I think it's definitely possible. I mean, he's been writing a memoir and this must be coming out of that memoir. I don't know if it was published or not. Anyway, I highly recommend it. There are moments where I was just dying of laughter. And then sometimes the way people talked around him when he was younger, um, you know, a lot of racism, a lot of systemic racism, a lot of, um, I, you know, he points out how most of the teams in the NFL are black, except one person is white, almost universally. And that is the quarterback. So for him to be a quarterback, um, it's, it's pretty amazing. And um, there are very few black quarterbacks in football, considering that's, uh, you know, the rest of the team is black. And, and that's an optics thing. That's a racist thing. Uh, they don't want the poster boy for the team to be black. They want them to be white. And, uh, you know, there's a lot yeah, I think of that's pain, not painful entire, things. Entirely true. There are some black quarterbacks, but, but historically, yeah, there's been yeah. lots more there's, white quarterbacks. Than uh, he, quarterbacks. he does go over how many black quarterbacks there are. He, he does point them out and, and right now, and it's also set his part of the story and his criticism is really right now in the last four or five years. And then it flashes back to being a kid. So I don't know. I think a lot of people really love it. I, I found it completely compelling and I'm going to stick with it. I, it's a little mini series on Netflix Great and fun. I do recommend it. Well, we went out to the movies. We yes. trundled out to the movies. Yes. And we went out to see uh, a little film called The French Dispatch of the Liberty Kansas oh. Evening Sun. Oh, I didn't get a directed, chance to see it Written yet. and directed by uh, a fellow named uh, Wes Anderson. Who I love. And love. it seems most people either love or hate Wes Anderson. Oh, and I don't. I, 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 so, I can see it in a way. Um, yeah. You know. I think he's beloved. He did Fantastic he, Mr. Fox. He did the... Um, Hotel Budapest, is that right? The Grand Budapest Hotel. Grand Budapest Hotel, which is, I've seen that maybe 10 times. So good. He did, um, what I own on DVD is um, The Life Aquatic. That is really one of my top favorite movies with Bill Murray, Jeff Goldblum. So good. Yeah, so he's a... How did it hold up? How did you find this movie? Well, I've been struggling to find a way to talk about it. So... Um, <laughs> Let's see. First of all, if you love the New Yorker, the New Yorker ah. magazine, then there's a greater chance that you're going to love this movie than if you're indifferent to the New Yorker. Oh, because it's set in their world or something? Because it's um, the, the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun has a, um, a magazine supplement called the french dispatch okay. and it's uh it has they have like foreign journalists mm -hmm. and like if you read reviews of this film um i'm guessing it's it's right out of the the publicity material because i've seen several reviews that refer to it as a love letter to print journalists okay okay um, so, I mean, the fact that they've different reviews have used that the same language me. Uh, yeah. tells me that, that that's part of the publicity <laughs> machine for it. Um, so imagine the setting is the, the death of the editor of this magazine that's been running for a, a lot of years that he founded. Right. And 
they've just, he's asked in his will that the when he dies, the magazine ends with one final issue that reprises three articles from the history of the magazine and an obituary. Oh. And the editor of the magazine, with who is Arthur Howitzer Jr., is played by Bill Murray. Yes. So he's sort of in the in-between parts of the movie. And there's also a kind of a travel section of the of the magazine uh, with this bicycling reporter played by uh, Owen um, Owen Wilson. Yep. So I mean, one of the things one of the things here is that if you've seen uh, a Wes Anderson movie, you could probably predict who some of the some of the actors are going to be. Um, mm-hmm. Like he likes to have um, he likes to have. Uh, 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 Bill Murray and Tilda mm-hmm. Swinton, yep. Owen Wilson, uh, like so. There's there, uh, he he has his favorites, right? Yeah, um, kind of as his uh, as go to ensemble. Yeah, cast. not uncommon with a lot of directors. Yeah. So what what they've done is they have this kind of travel section, and then they have these three articles, and the articles are you can call them shorts. They're like short uh-huh. films. Um, one is called The Concrete Masterpiece, and it's about um, an artist who's in prison for murder, whose prison guard is also his nude model. And <laughs> he he paints her, but they keep coming out as like Abax works. And mm. this is the best of the three stories. Um, an, art, an art dealer s- chances on seeing this wonderful art and he wants to buy the art. And so we have the, um, the artist uh, is, is working hard um, on creating this, these new paintings. Um, but of course the new paintings he's doing as a fresco, so they can't be sold because they're a fresco on a printed wall. <laughs> and there's, the, and there's an art critic who kind of introduces this guy's work. So it's this really oddball, quirky story. And the other two stories, um, re- is it revisions to a manifesto, which is all about warring student factions protesting. Okay. And, there's a third story is called the private dining room of the police commissioner that seems to be reimagining James Baldwin as a food critic. Interesting. I am fascinated by this. So like they're, they are really quirky stories. They're quirky stories that have nothing to do with one another. And you know, and here's the other thing. Every shot in this film Mm -hmm. is beautiful. Every shot in this film is considered every frame of this film is considered and like many of his films he uses what should we call stylistic tropes maybe yes Um, yes which um one of them is he he has these backgrounds that are like planes and (laughs) and that the characters move along the plane in the background and it's like like something that you don't really notice in other films but you notice in his film because he so consciously uses them um, the the films because this film goes back and forth between black and white and color oh. and when i say color i mean he uses the whole pantone oh, yeah. oh yeah business right um well grand budapest hotel is just gorgeous and yeah, so is so, life aquatic yeah so it's like 
at the heart of his films is this very personal quirky style that he's developed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The trouble I have in this movie is that the style, the individual seconds, the millions of individual seconds in the film are way more interesting than any of the stories in the film, which I found I didn't really care much about. And by the middle of the third, no, even by the middle of the revisions to a manifesto, I found it difficult to focus on the story. Mm, I because mm. I just didn't really care about the story, mm. even though the individual seconds, the individual yes. scenes were all spectacular. The, it, it seemed to me that they were more interesting than the story that he was trying to tell. Yeah, and I guess he does experiment with how much he's going to um, give us of a classic format or traditional thing and that can be very difficult yes um yeah, to be sure. exper- to be experimental storyteller it's it is really hard and it's not exactly relaxing and enjoyable it means the audience is going to your brain is going to go into going like what's You're going always on? figuring out what's going on exactly. yeah now, now, i thought I it was relate? more successful in the one with the dogs what was that called is it dog dog island or i want to say do you mean Fantastic, Mr. Fox? No, I don't mean Fantastic. I mean Dog Island, okay. Um, uh, let me just look up the title of it. The uh, good thing about Fantastic, Mr. Fox, is that he really does commit to um, quite a lot of plot and story, and it's done in a very uh, traditional, mainstream way. Yeah, it was Isle of Dogs. Isle of uh, Dogs, okay. Isle yeah, of I, Dogs. I the name it, of it. it was a stop-motion animation mm, science yes. fiction comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And I thought that that one, because he took you right out of the actors on film Mm -hmm. into this whole other world, that I thought it was more successful. It was easier for me to dive into that. But I I guess I'm so um, trained to be watching regular Mm -hmm. sorts of (laughs) narratives that uh, I, when, when he when he used stories that the stories sort of tell the story of the magazine, sort of, mm-hmm. but, but there are also these individual stories. And I just wanted to say, why? I, I, I struggled <laughs> with it. I, I struggled. I well, wanted to love it. I really yeah, wanted to love this. Yeah. And um, I, I came out of it thinking, what the hell was that? Well, I'm going to look forward to seeing it and seeing I, how I feel about it. I think you should. I yeah, think do you, you remember the, the movie New York Stories? It was three different stories. One was by Woody <clears throat> Allen. And one was by Martin Scorsese. And I forgot who the other one was. Yeah, I didn't see that one. Oh, that. okay. Because it I liked it because it was like three short films. So I think if you went in there thinking I'm going to watch three short films would it be easier and what's also interesting is that we do not all of our innovations and most of the excitement of movies happens in short films that's why there are a number of directors who 
try to make sure that people get funding to make those short films because they can afford yes, to be But this isn't the short film. No, it's not. This but is it's, a feature film yeah. whose constituent parts yes. are short films. Yeah. That form a, a whole. They, right. And they form a whole and the whole is this uh, so-called love letter to foreign print journalists. <laughs> whatever that means right um and i mean there's a lot of affection for this yeah. kind of magazine yeah and i suspect that if i love the new yorker more i would oh. i would probably love these stories yes. more and i would love this uh the whole milieu more than i did i just right. found that the stories they were they were kind of all right they were they were really quirky, oddball little stories. Right. Uh, I'm not really sure how they all kind of fit together, related to one another. Uh, I'm more sure about how they related to the French Dispatch uh, mm -hmm. more than anything. Um, but I wanted more of the whole and less mm. of the constituent parts. I That's think. fair. Um, you know, I mean, he's like he's the just say no to naturalism guy right yeah i love that about him like he I has just like this, this kind of disregard for i hate for, naturalism for, for naturalism <laughs> and whereas whereas a lot of filmmakers try oh. to erase the their own fingerprints from yes. the film yes. well he's like get my fingerprints he wants the finger paint man that's what he wants right. to do. he wants to right. get his fingers onto everything <clears throat> and some of it i would say he's doing certain things because well i like it Right. I think in some cases, it's just that simple. In some cases, it's because it's the way he thinks about storytelling. Mm -hmm. And um, and so he's he's built this um, really inventive way of telling stories, which mm -hmm. is interesting and challenging. I think you got to see this film. I will see. Oh, I, will I absolutely will see it. see it. As um, soon as I get an hour and a half, I will go see it. Yeah, I, you I, know, I guess... What I want to speak to about Wes Anderson is I am so, so, so glad he's out there making movies in the same way. Um, and you really reminded me of something. I don't know if I've shared this story here on the podcast or not, but I took a workshop with Guy Madden um, in, in Calgary, of all places, when I was with my grandparents. And um, I don't know how long it was, a few days. And um, Guy Madden is an experimental filmmaker in Winnipeg. He's much like Wes Anderson and David Lynch. They are in a similar, and Jim Jarmusch. Those four filmmakers are in a very similar vein where, they, you know, realism isn't so important to them. They will use it when they want to, and they will also build off of it or respond to it. Where you've got Martin Scorsese, who spends so much of his time making it absolutely realistic. And both things are, if I had to choose one, I'm going to go with non-realistic. That's me. I prefer that. It, I don't need realism to enjoy a story. I don't even need a good movie to enjoy a story. In fact, if I care about the characters and the, the film and what's going on, I, I'm, I'm in. It could be a bad B movie for, my, for me. And so um, Guy Madden was talking to us about, um, he, said, he said a number of things. It was really one of the most fantastic art workshops I've ever taken. And I've taken a lot, taken lots of film workshops, but he was really, really special. And he talks about, that he, he was asked to do a four minute film. And so was David Lynch and a few other filmmakers back in the day, and they were gonna be shown at Cannes. And so he worked on this film and what he wanted to do was he laid it out 
on um, on a steam back. He did it the old fashioned way and he taped it together and spliced it together himself. And if a hair got on there, he left it on because he wanted it to be shown as handmade. He was almost like the encaustic painter of a uh, film, if you will, mm-hmm. or all the parts were, there was no secret. There was no, everything was transparent, no pun intended, but everything was left there. There was fingerprints on it and he put it together and it, and he took it into the shop to get it printed. You, you, you take that part that you edit and you give it to someone and they transfer it into a format to be in a, in a theater. Okay. That's what movie makers do. And so when he went to pick up the film, the guy goes, Oh, Mr. Madden, I, I, I did you a favor. I got, I got rid of all that messy stuff in your film for you. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Took out the hairs, the tape, because he spliced it like old school. And anything on there, if he spilled coffee, he left it on there. And it was still a narrative, right? It was about a train or something. And um, that, and I think Wes Anderson is a little bit like that, too. He doesn't care if we see the, uh, the puppeter, puppeteer or the puppet. You know, it's mm-hmm. okay to see those both. And, and that's also very Japanese. Uh, kabuki theater is like that right where you have a whole show and a whole story but you can see the people holding the puppets sure and people still cry and laugh so yeah i think they're kind of in that vein it's like for me i honestly won't do a painting unless i've got a drip in it it's like i have to have a drip in a painting even if i did the most traditional realistic rendering of an apple or a tree i'm going to put some drip in there all right even the drip Viva la drip. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see that movie. I just yeah, love that I guy so much. I, you know, I, I can't even tell you if I liked it or not. Right. Um, what, what That's I kind could, of fun. What I could tell you is that I liked a thousand parts of it. <laughs> Great. I liked a thousand parts of it I thought were really wonderful and brilliant and really creative. There's even animation thrown in. Like he's got everything with the kitchen sink in here. I Um, I love that. What I just didn't really think was strong enough was if you're going to have three stories Mm -hmm. that are going to make up the film, you're you're asking the viewer, you're asking a lot more of the viewer because you're not offering as much as a cohesive whole. And Mm -hmm. I think if you're going to have three stories, the three stories have to be better than these three. Okay. Well, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I'm going to see how I feel. And, 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 and again, for me, I'm glad that someone's doing something different out there. Yeah. In movies. And in some way, that's there were all some, I want. some aspects of it are farcical. Um, there's, I mean, it's got a bit of everything and it certainly does have a certain kind of love for this sort of um this kind of New Yorker style of, uh, of now let's magazine. give it on. Let's see what this issue is with the New Yorker. Um, so you're not a big fan of the New Yorker, or you are? Oh, I I'm um, I admire the New Yorker in a way. Okay. Um, I rarely read the New Yorker. Nor do I. I'm almost ambivalent, but not. That's too strong a term. Yeah. I just I, I have been been pointed at certain articles in New Yorker, which yes, have me been too. excellent. Me too. Um, and there's just no doubt there's excellent articles. But, Absolutely. Um, it just isn't really my jam. It isn't my something I go to. Um, I'm not. There are people, for instance, who think that the the New Yorker cartoons are the best cartoons in the history of ever. And well, some of them okay. are good. They're, some they're of them are right. really good. And, you some know, of them are not. They have a kind of 
they have a kind of uh, sophistication about them. And I think that's part of what people admire. They admire that level of sophistication. And mm -hmm. if there is a certain kind of intellectual sophistication about the whole magazine. And um, in a way, Wes Anderson makes a bit of fun at, at mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, the, to the degree that the French Dispatch is like the New Yorker. But I think you will agree when you see it that it is like the New Yorker. It is certainly an homage to a magazine like the New right, Yorker. Right, right. Well, yeah, it's funny because um, yeah, I've been given articles to read. And I mean, there's a lot of fiction in um, the New oh. Yorker, I believe, right? Yes, and I should so, also say, so, yeah. I should also say that the name of <laughs> the French Dispatch is set in a fictional town in <laughs> France. <laughs> Okay, and, and the name of the town is beautiful. It's Anui Sur Blase. Oh, yeah. So hopefully people will know what that means. Boring yet blase. Blase. Boring yet blase. Yeah, that is I mean, hilarious. It is really hilarious. It just yeah. like it just didn't hit me at first, and because like you're trying to figure out what's going on, yeah. and you realize, oh yeah, Anui is the name of this town. That's Anui right. Sur Blase. That's right. that's the best, man. Yeah. So the, it, it's every there's so much about it that's creative. It's Good. filled with this wonderful creative energy. Um, it's not filled with a coherent whole, um, which could be frustrating for some, yeah. and yeah. it's frustrating for me. I will say it's experimental. Yes. That sounds good. I can't wait to watch it. And um, yeah, now you know, the other the thing I'm going to say, if, I could, ahead, please, if please. I could please, be critical, mm -hmm. I could say, and I, I think this is true of other Wes Anderson films that I've seen, is the, the emotional world of his characters is of the lowest concern of all his concerns. Um, and I would say in this film, one of the reasons why I had trouble with the stories is that there's a kind of emotional barrenness about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. There's, there's not a, a, a creative barrenness by any means, but there is a kind of an emotional barrenness. It's, it's very difficult to get close to these characters. Um, and okay. maybe it's because they're all dressed up in style. I'm not sure. Um, but I did notice it. That is like, I, I have trouble caring about the story. I have trouble caring about the characters because he hasn't offered me the emotional tidbits I need to cling to in order to care about those things. Okay, very interesting. And I'd be curious to see if that's with you or if that's a common feeling that people have. Now, he does have beloved fans, fans oh, that yeah. just love him. And I count myself one of them. Um, I would say that the emotional... Part, when I'm going in there, I guess I attach myself to those characters right away. I like them right away or I'm angry at them right away. And I feel like I know those people. I don't think it takes very much to know who they are. You know them by those appearances. They've, they've signaled you with their clothing or their attitude right away. And I think that's part of what I really like is that they are people who live around me. They are urban quite often. And if they aren't urban or they aren't even human, they certainly allude to being uh, je ne sais quoi. Um, they have a little bit of um, a fanciness to them or urban urbanness to them uh, and or hum humility. I mean, when you think of um, the bellhop in the, the uh, grand 
Budapest Hotel. I mean, I find those characters, I was really, really cared about them. And I couldn't believe when I found out what book they came from. I, I was not familiar with that um, writer before. And to find out the kind of tragic novel it came from was very interesting to me. And they were given this little kind of almost a moment of, of, um, of peaceful life and, and, and fun. So they are, yeah, they're not, they're definitely not, it's not the killing fields. It's not Apocalypse Now. It's not, um, you know, Sophie's Choice. These are people who are just, they're just living. They're more like me probably than Sophie's Choice. They're more like me than the killing fields, even though I love the killing fields because I want to taste different food. I like to see all different types of movies. But um, I cannot wait to see it, and I'm pretty excited about it. Well, I'm but looking forward to, to, to your response to the film when, yeah. when when you do see it. And also, I would like to ask our listeners, have you seen the, the French Dispatch uh, of the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun, and what did you think of it? And what do you think about Wes Anderson's films? Yeah. Uh, do you think that Eugene, he's full of shit? What are you talking <laughs> about here? What do you mean, emotionally barren? Oh, you're making well, me upset. Or do you think, <laughs> yeah, he's right on. His analysis well, is so true. Where do you I, stand on this? Yeah, I am fascinated by coming to, to learn a bit more about your movie tastes myself, even though I've seen many movies with you. Um, there's always something to learn because I would have <laughs> thought that Wes Anderson would be right exactly up your alley because... Um, because of that frivolousness, because of that, um, I don't call it emotional barrenness. I, I, I don't know what the word would be. Um, I think I know what you mean. I think the feeling is different because I didn't realize, you know, I'm coming to learn that you really do appreciate a very realistic, in some cases, not all the time, a very, because I mean, listen, we watch some ludicrous movies like Matt Helm or something, which is not realistic. Um, but if you like gritty and you like realism to some degree. And, maybe, and, I, and I, I like some of Wes Anderson's films very, very yes, much. Yes, I just can't yes. tell you if I like this one. You know, it's <laughs> like when I talk to Sheila about it, you know, and she's she's kind of ambivalent about Wes a okay. Anderson's movies. And yeah. I said, you know, I really don't know what to say about this movie. I have yeah. to think about it. She says, yeah. well, you know, like, that's all I need to know. I'm, I'm not going to see this one. Oh, so she didn't go at all. Okay. No, she hasn't well, gone to see this what one. She likes and oh, what that's she right. So yeah, and I wanted to see it because I wanted to uh, take one for the team on this and yeah. uh, and and talk about it. So I, I went on my own uh, to see you. this one. Well, I, we will definitely Stagel want to see it because he also loves them. Like I said, I own a couple of Wes Anderson films, and one of them is Life Aquatic, which I even got a membership card. You know, there's often fan outputs from some of these movies, and you could get um, caps, like Steve Zizou caps from Life Aquatic. You can get, I think you can get the tracksuit, merch, the, to the toques, they, they have merch. merch. And you know, they, they are a real fan. You know, movie. you know, you're in the 2000s when it's got merch. Well, you don't, who's gonna buy, like, I don't know, what are you gonna buy from Apocalypse Now? You know, I mean, <laughs> a canoe. <laughs> a boat so yeah they have these these quirky characters or people we might know when you live in new york city or toronto or vancouver or london you you're going to know these people you might not know them down the street it would be interesting i guess his most rural film is fantastic mr fox <laughs> i have not seen that one Oh God, you have to see it. You'll love it so much. You will just love it because you and I love models. The other thing is he, he'll work with models. I love it. 
what else do I want to say? Oh, now back to the New Yorker. I am, it's not fair to say I'm bitter, but I have a hard time with the New Yorker. I just don't read it. And I'm a magazine, you know, slut. I just love magazines. And why don't and, you read it? Well, is it I the design turns you off or? I don't know. And I have it. Is it an attitude? Me. I think it has an, it has an attitude. <sighs> Well, it's over my head. If it has an attitude, I didn't pick up on that. I think or one want, is that I read. It wants to be over your head. I don't know. I think a couple of times I read some of the stories and I just felt like maybe when I read a short story, I just want to go buy a book and read it. I don't want to read it in the New Yorker. I don't want to read it in Macy. I don't know. I often don't read short stories in Esquire either. Um, and I'm a sh- I love short stories. And then I don't know why, but guess what? Um, I have a, I have a number of friends that absolutely love the New Yorker and follow it and have had subscriptions. When I got back this week, the other day, I you know you get that pile of mail when you've been out of town. Well, if I don't have a subscription to the New Yorker right now, that's why I'm kind of freaking out about what you said because I, I don't know if it's because oh. I do have a I have a subscription to Vanity Fair. It's possible sometimes they'll just send you other magazines to see if you want to take them. I don't know where this came from. And if someone gave it to me as a gift, thank you. Um, But then it would have to be somebody who knew where I live. So I don't know. And I was thinking it might be Steve. My, my favorite magazines. Yeah. Are the ones. (laughs) I can't wait to hear this. (laughs) My favorite magazines are the ones with the most colorful pictures. I know. So you can cut them up. Yes, yes, yes exactly. of, course, of course, of course. I mean, and the New Yorker would make like the lousiest collage oh, because it, I've, I've I tried. mean, it's, it's, it's so, so black and white. It's like it's black. It's got black and white attitude all over it, right? And it's like black and white, and it's got font. You know, it's it got font. It's got it's got italics. Just have a lot it's of got, font. I mean, you know, it's just. It's. So uh, I'm thinking it's too bougie for you. Uh, maybe that's what it is. Maybe okay. that's what it is. Well, and I'm what's really it it's kind of it's kind of funny, Wes Anderson, who who strikes me as not being particularly no, bougie, no, having an affection for the bouginess of it all. So go watch the movie, then report back. Let let me know what you think. Well, you know, I like a bougie restaurant, so I think that we can kind of yeah. have these things. And it's not that I want to say that I would go to my way. I like all food, and I, I want to try a lot of food. I also so have a I confession will, to make. Yes. Some time ago, we told one of our one of our listeners <laughs> that we would read a book that was recommended, and we would oh, talk about it. And right. that book is The Big Picture by yeah, I'm looking at it right Cowell. now. Yeah, and I've been trying to read this since I was on my canoe trip in yes. August, and I I am I am maybe a third of the way through this, and I'm struggling. I well, am I struggling. Think that's pretty good. Um, and I'm struggling because, you know, this is it's a philosophy book yes. that that is is about a kind of philosophy that he calls poetic naturalism. Yes. And it starts with looking at the world around us as the basis for for that philosophy. And you, how do you look at the world around you? You look at the world around you through the magic of physics. And he is going through. <laughs> In some the detail, the history of physics mm-hmm. to in order to impart this philosophy. And I'm struggling with it. I'm struggling with reading about the physics. I'm really having a hard time. It's like, I don't want to read about any more physics. <laughs> but well, I don't want to. I, I don't want to. Well, I did read it and I'm glad it was recommended to and us. You read the whole thing? 
Yeah. Now, the thing is, wow, I was absolutely correct in my feeling from the beginning. And we talked about this one a few episodes ago, where I said, I feel there is an agenda on here. And the agenda is very obvious to me. And at the end, he does come fully clean. I was, I was quite aware of this. And um, his agenda is similar. And I don't think this is why it was, I don't know if this is why it was recommended or not. And um, uh Megan recommended it, and um, and it's a very good book. It is the history of, of physics, which, fine, it was fantastic. That part I really enjoyed, and I was familiar with many of the, the theories because I've Yeah, I'm familiar with some books. of it as well. Yeah, but, I read uh, a lot of physics books. I don't part- read a lot of physics books, and, um, and I'm just not that interested in physics. Well, Although I, a- I recognize, I recognize the... The idea that if you're going to start at the start, if you're going to start at, at how do you describe Big what bang, it is, yeah. yep. Um, yep. you have to you have to have some way of describing it. Some and physics physics is a way of looking at the world that that offers that opportunity. Uh, but I don't want to. Right, but I really like looking at the world through physics. I really do. I have no problem with that framework at all. And I really like looking at the world through science and, and through observing nature. So I already do practice I what I would call certainly a poetic naturalism, even if I don't like naturalism in my art. <laughs> I like naturalism in nature. <laughs> so all of that part, totally good. It was the agenda. The argument is that we should only need to look at our meaning and our lives through physics and science. And you know what? I'm sorry. I've heard this through David Dennett. I've heard it with Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, all writers who I am fine with. But this idea that we would justify an atheist viewpoint, I'm I'm not, I'm so not atheist that I wouldn't even call myself atheist or I don't believe in religion. I don't believe in God. And I think atheist is the wrong word. I don't think I, I want to be um, compared to any of those things. I'm more like, um, okay, what's happening? You know, um, I feel like there are many gods. I don't believe in a god. I believe in many gods. I do think you write spells for your life and we do vision boards and we have goals. And uh, a magic comes out of that that we cannot explain and science can't explain. We can't, we can't explain. Science has said that people who meditate meditate, long-term meditation, their brains are different in a beneficial way. It, it took science, you know, any monk or, or myself could have told you that, that it's good for your brain, but, you know, we can't believe it until a scientist says so. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't agree with him. I wish he had left it at the history of science, but what he does in the final of the book is said that let's, let's have a no-nonsense life. Let's, um, you know, let's look to physics. We don't need to have a religion. in order to answer the questions of the world. I also would answer, for me, religions do not own the dominion of asking the big questions. Everyone asks the big questions, whether you're an atheist or you believe in God. Um, Everyone wants to know, why are we here? What's the meaning of life? Is there a meaning of life? And, And for him, there is not that kind of meaning. There is on a personal level for him, of course. But his agenda was to try and argue that we don't need to bother with religions. And I I don't care if anybody's religious or not. I'm not a religious person, but I don't care if anybody else is. And I certainly don't think that there's only one way to look at the meaning of life or the way that it is. And it takes science is always at the last. They never know anything. 
they know it way less fast than poets and artists. If you want mm. to understand the universe, you study poetry and you study art. If you want to prove the poems and the poets correct, then you study physics. And, and they're always, you know, a hundred years behind the times. And I'm glad for them because there's a bunch of people that have been conditioned in our world to only believe in empirical Western science. And they're the ones who don't respect poetry unless it's pretty or it's in their mood or they would never say, oh, all children must take, take art. They would say all children must take math. And I just don't know why we have to compete on these things. Why can't it be fully embracing? In the same way that um, one of my favorite scientists is, is um, Edward O. Wilson. And he studied ants and swarm culture. And he wrote a book called Consilience. And he basically is saying that, you know, eh, you know, religion, it's a gene. Some people have the gene, some people don't. And I'm like, well, maybe some people have a gene to be suspicious about religion. <laughs> like, I love this guy. And still even him, you know what? You don't have to bully us and the rest of the world. It shouldn't be religion versus science. That is the wrong argument because the two of them are entwined since the beginning of human life. They have never been separate. And religion is just one way of, um, Wade Davis said, it's reconciling the fact, it's a reconciliation of the fact that we have to kill what we love to live. And so we started ritualizing it. And um, I just think it's inappropriate for um, this argument about atheism versus believing in God. Who cares? You know, who cares? Anyway, I thought it was a really good book and I do recommend it. It's fantastic. I just am not going for the punchline. That's all. Otherwise, it's a really good book. Fair and enough. It's a great I, I have to I have to say, Megan, I'm sorry, I may not get to the punchline. <laughs> the other thing is um, I read Stephen Jay Gould's history of paleontology. <laughs> I think that was like 2000 pages or something. So I do like a good science book and I, I, I read a lot of scientists and their books. I'm going to put that uh, that book aside for now <laughs> and I may get back to it. I mean, Megan, I may get back to it at some point. I might, but I'm going to, I have this other one has been oh. sitting there because we oh. said we would read the big picture first. And that is Thomas King's Indians on vacation. And oh, I'm, right. um, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to reading that one. And I'm going to get going on that one. Okay. I'll get my hands days. on it. I will get my hands on it right away. And we can uh, go go further with fiction. Yeah, go yeah for sure. Uh, do you know do you wanted, know what that refers to? Go further to with fiction. Isn't it? Um, I want to say it's Larry Weiner. It's not Larry Weiner, but you're you might you're very close <laughs> in that it's one of those. It comes from one of those uh, New Mad York Cap conceptual artists. art madcap. Uh -huh conceptualist uh dennis openheim <laughs> oh who, who did a piece with fireworks was it fireworks that that lit up the the words go further with fiction i think I that's how it, it must be anyway if you, you know i i really uh i really admired that work and a number of other works that he did um yes. and then i had occasion to meet him and oh. he was just the most unlikable man. I just really, <laughs> it was, maybe it was just me. I don't know. I, I met him in, in Banff. Um, I was passing through a number of years, many years ago. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, I just found him to be just a really <laughs> thoroughly unlikable guy. And I couldn't look at his hopefully, work anymore after that. Hopefully his children or whoever are not listening to the well, show. Well, and if they do, they, you could just <laughs> they say, probably know well, yeah, too. dad was a great guy and you're an idiot, Eugene. And that's fair <laughs> enough. But it's like, maybe, you know, I we just, maybe we just didn't hit it off. I don't right. know. Right. Well, I mean, 
you know, now I'm going to step in it. Um, conceptual artists, I, I don't think of them as life of the party. I just don't. I, <laughs> and yet, number... you know, if you were to go to, if you were to go to the, uh, to Beacon, New York, to the, the Dia in Beacon. Which, which I is, couldn't do, I'm sorry. Is, it's an old Nabisco cracker factory, yep. um, like 10,000 square feet that's been turned into this museum celebrating really the golden age of conceptual art. You know, it's got all those guys and all like their. Ma- all I think Matta. I think Matta was probably really fun. Um, yeah, he was probably a very cool guy. Yeah. Um, uh, Matta Clark, I think you're thinking of. Yes, as opposed I am. To Matta. Yeah, who would Matta, saw his holes dad was into a whole buildings. Yeah. Oh yeah, he would saw holes into all yeah, the buildings. Yeah, very yeah. very interesting fellow. Anyway, yeah. that you know when I went to the Dia uh, in in Beacon, I was completely enamored with this work. I saw it in a totally new light. I mm. I I thought as I saw it as being looking at it in the fullness of time. It's like walking into history, seeing this work. And, okay. you know, I really enjoyed a lot of it. A lot like, more than, like than years ago. You know, if you showed me a Saul Lewitt, I, yeah. No, I still kind of roll my eyes at Saul uh, but, um, but I kind of, um, I, I really enjoyed it when I, when I saw it together. I, because what mm. you see is you see that dialogue happening among among those artists and as and it's another way of looking at the world another way absolutely, of, absolutely. Expre- of expression in the world yeah. and yeah it's not the warmest form of expression on the block for <laughs> well, sure i like conceptual art myself i i do so i just <laughs> i don't know why i just think that if you're into conceptual art and making it i think that you're real it i think maybe boring. just is it that you're possibly uber cerebral could that be it? And it's so unfair to say, but maybe you're just so into that. I don't know. And I have no, I have no reason to base it on there. I just think I was trying to be a shit disturber. But hey, I would know, say, I would say, if you ever get a chance to see the the Dia and Beacon, it'll open your eyes to that that kind of work. Right. Um, you know, when when I was there, the first thing I did was that there was there was this huge piece. I think it was by Walter de Maria. It was just an enormous piece that was mm. all about the, the throwing of the I Ching. And oh, I love that already. Um, it was this, it was a hugely ambitious work. I don't think it was, it was the most successful work in there. But the first thing I did was I went in there and took a picture of it. Yes. And later on in the afternoon when I was in there, I saw the sign that said, <laughs> whatever you do, you better not take a picture of this work. Like, you You're so pictures- lucky anywhere else in there yeah, um, yeah. and you know i just went in there i took my pictures i i didn't pay any attention to the sign wow. i never can saw. you share those on facebook for us please oh i have i could if i dug through my <laughs> pictures and found them wow um i took a picture at kusama and then later after i took a couple someone said you can't take those so i did share those on facebook <laughs> um, um. Yeah, anyway, I there's love, a lot of work in there that I really that I really right. like. So somebody who is a life of the party or was was Vito Acconci. So I'm wrong. Conceptual artists can be the life of the party. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, and that's very possible. <laughs> it's just maybe they get into their studio and strange things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think in Vito Acconci's case, they certainly strange things certainly do happen. <laughs> He's a bit of a performance artist. And by that I mean jerking off under the floor. <laughs> Oh, those madcap! Oh, huh? those madcap artists! Those madcap artists! That's right. Giving us a bad name. 
That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I wanted to do a couple, a couple of things. I wanted to kind of, it's not a fix it or anything like that, but we were talking about cancel culture a couple of weeks ago, right? In, in, we weren't in exactly response, talking about that, but no, no, but it came up like, where did that term come from, or what's going on with it? Or I don't like that help? term. I would just never use that term. I wouldn't either. I don't like it. I, I, I really try not to use it because it isn't this term is like saying, oh, it's politically correct, and what right, that I don't means like to is, use that word either. It, it means they, either. in a way they mean the same the same thing. They diminish what happens. Well, true. Now, LeVar Burton suggested using consequence culture instead of cancel culture. And I thought that was a good choice of words, actually. But but maybe it's just, you know, we're going to stop looking at work made by this guy because he's an asshole and a rapist. Maybe that's I don't see. I don't I don't think you should you you should you should. Uh, bundle that up and give it a cute name like cancel culture. No, I don't right? either. I, I, like, I, don't I mean, either. there's very good reasons why, um, you know, you, pe- people have just decided they're not going to look at work done by people whose behavior has been so monstrously and horribly inappropriate well, and that they really, nobody wants anything to do with them. Right. And I mean, I'm not sure. You want to call I it cancel thought, culture? Call it cancel culture. I don't care. Right. Well, it's the same as who made up that term. I'm, I'm not sure it was the people who were actually so-called canceling or looking at the consequences of public figures' behavior that called the term cancel culture. And, and the political correct term, Nobody, nobody who was being polite made up that term. That's from the Communist Manifesto. A lot of people don't realize that anymore, but it's literally in the little red book in the Communist Manifesto. So that is also interesting too. And that's why there's such a war between right wing and left wing is because the right wing wing is kind of freaking out because that term came from the Communist Manifesto, which they probably co-opted. Um, but I wanted to look up and play a song that is considered being a little bit related to the term cancel culture. I'm just going to play something on YouTube right now. It's by okay. the band called Chic. And are we going to be able to work. hear this? Oh, I don't know. Maybe not. I better stop it. No, we won't be able to. Okay, well, I think it's adorable that you're going to play some music, but you have to play it in such a way that it's going to get mic'd, so it's going to be on the show. I forgot to, I forgot to check that out. So, and so anyway, good thing we're. Let's imagine that you played some music. Yes, and it's we can do that, and I'll play it on Facebook later or something. But it's called Chic, the band Chic. I don't know if you know them, disco band, and the song was called "Your Love Is Cancelled." And Nile Rogers wrote it about a bad date he had, because the woman, I guess, wanted to use his celebrity. Um, to do something with her and etc cetera, etc cetera. and then it evolved in, and that was in 1981 then in um, uh, something happened it was african-american community um, coined the term or at least started saying to cancel um, something I, i've lost track of what that was but i wanted to sort of answer that the one thing that it, you know, it really, it is a form of shunning. I'm all for shunning and people do that. I'm not all for it, but I just also want to ask it's how. It's a human in, thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not for or against humans do it. And it is a way of, of, of building and breaking community. So, but what's the point of enlightenment if we can't be patient with each other? And I think that part of the whole thing, um, one of the reasons I like, I'm going to go back to the show with Colin is 
calling in black and white, is that there's things in this little series that are so hilarious and so sad because people are tone deaf and they're not sensitive to somebody else's, especially a teenager. You know, teenagers are, are super sensitive. But you put that in with white parents and a black kid, it really starts to show you um, examples of privilege and racism that we wouldn't be able to see. And yet it seems obvious to me that Colin Kaepernick still loves his parents, even though they really screwed up. Sometimes they were pretty screwed up. Sometimes they were funny, but it is portrayal is made with love. And um, I was thinking about you and I, is if we're too stern, we could easily be canceled, even though we're not famous, because we've misused words we on our podcast. Yeah, we've used mis. mis- We've misused words by either no. we forgot to pay attention or think about oh, it. Oh, no. You mean the podcast is in peril? Well, I don't know if it's in peril. I'd like to say that Uh-oh. maybe it's in in the in the form of that we're learning. And we don't hate women. And we don't think less of women. And um, when we have said prostitute by accident, we really meant sex worker. And in the heat of the moment, I just want to fix that because we've both done it. And it is like saying, instead of saying LGBT or gay, it is not unlike saying faggot. And and that is a name calling and a dismissive term. And we don't want to be canceled. We don't want to be shunned. And we want to apologize. I want to apologize for using the word prostitute. It was an accident. And we're not going to keep doing it. We've done it a couple of times over the, over the year. Because in, sometimes in scripts, and sometimes it is a common way to say it. But we want to remember that that is actually a viable job. And I respect people that do that job. And I don't want them to be taken advantage of or, or, or shunned. Or I don't want to dismiss them. So I just wanted to do a fix it uh, corner. Yeah, me either. Although I, I don't like, I don't like, terms that refer to people as workers i understand that i guess let's um, find out if for there's instance, a new I, term. I, I read i read somewhere somebody referring to painters as art workers <laughs> and i thought if anybody ever in my presence calls me an art worker i'm gonna jump up and down and have a hissy fit right, it's not gonna happen man. until sex workers tell us what else they want us to call them i think we need to respect that well, and I think I, I think some sex workers just, use use the term escort. Some yes. use courtesan. Yes, um, there's there's lots of possible terms that we right. could use. I just did not want um, to use a derogatory the, term. The, the, the term worker um, has a really comes from a very specific place, right? It's it does. a very specific sp- uh, political place. Right, and, but we and you know telling what? me that that's the only correct way is well i mean if hey if if someone's in that business and they say that's what i want you to call me well they have said that they have said that so and i don't know if collectively they have said that or not but i mean he's collectively said anything it's impossible well exactly yes but the general term right now at least maybe there'll be a new term but i'm just saying that's why i think all of us deserve a little patience with each other and maybe a little take a little breath and what's the point of being so smart and so enlightened if we can't also learn along the way. That's all. And when we're hard on other people, we might want to turn that telescope on ourselves. And, um, you know, having been hard on many people here on this podcast myself, I just wanted to say, hey, boy, um, we want to be careful too. And uh, the uh, it doesn't matter what I think the term sex worker, if a sex worker, exactly, it doesn't matter what I think about it. Um, I don't have to care if I use it or not, um, whether I like it or not. Doesn't matter, right? Just like gay 
doesn't matter if I like the term or not, or LGBT. That's just That's the term I, I had now. no idea that that was the appropriate term I, to I use just, for someone you, in that uh, in that endeavor well, line, line of work. Said it. We've both said it. I, I, I mean, people use people use sex worker. People use escorts. People use lots of different right, words. Right, people right. use hooker. People use prostitute. Yes, yes, um, yes. I had I actually had no idea that one was appropriate or one was better or one was right and one well, maybe, was wrong. But well, I mean, if I said a word that has offended somebody out there, hey, sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. Let's move I on. I don't think you personally have or anything. I have. Yeah, I'm just saying it. And maybe someone will write in and let us know what the official term is. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe I'm overreacting. I don't think so. And I'm not reacting or anything. I just want to put it out there so that when we're mad at other creatives or people in movies or art doing things. Now, there's a term that I don't like is creatives. Yes. But good thing we don't don't have to worry about it. Oh, man. That's like even even worse than creative or or art worker is cultural worker. He, <laughs> he works in the cultural sector. Like, great, man. Yeah. Well, you know what? In this, and I don't mean to make light about what, of what you're saying. No, no, um, no. But, not a, but, I don't feel know, that at all. I think. Uh, Again, I'm going to refer to the fact that we live in an accelerated culture. What we said yesterday may not be acceptable today. And what we say today that's horrible might be totally fine tomorrow. And that's the world we live in. And let's just be sure. a little bit kind to each other on the way if we if we misstep. I mean, if you're an out and out asshole racist pig, then I don't care. <laughs> then right. have at it. Take them down. <laughs> and if you would like to uh, to write in to uh, to uh, correct our language, um, you can write into correct the language at gmail.com and we'll get right on to your correction. For other inquiries, you can write us at the agency.podcast at gmail.com. Hey, do we have anybody write us about uh, Lopez's album? Uh, no, I'm still hanging on to that, waiting for a winner. All right. All right. We want a winner. We want someone to write us. Write us anything at this point. Maybe even just the next email will win a prize to Lopez's album. <laughs> yes, we haven't been getting much mail lately. I think I think sad. they don't love us anymore. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon. Next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. <laughs>